Good morning again. And since it's the week of, Merry Christmas. For many of us and for many people, Christmas is a season of comfort. A season of things that bring us, as the song says, comfort and joy. Time with family, time with friends, singing some old songs, old Christmas carols, maybe some of our favorite Christmas TV specials or Christmas movies we take time to watch. And each family has their own unique traditions that we do for a variety of reasons, but one reason is because it makes us comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with discomfort. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable at Christmas. However, there's a huge problem if we find ourselves being comfortable or complacent spiritually. And what I mean by that is we don't have a desire to grow in our faith. We're, we're good where we are. That's the meaning of the title of today's message, that Jesus is better than comfort, than complacency, than staying put spiritually. God calls His people to grow to maturity for a reason. So we're able to discern and tell the difference between right and wrong. Our passage today is Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to go into chapter 6. Those chapter verse numbers weren't the same in the original uh, text of Scripture. They didn't have the numbers in them. Somebody just wrote the whole letter. So it, the message goes over into the other chapters. So chapter 5, 11 through 6, 3. And this passage is a call for God's people to grow up. To grow up. I, I thought about tidying titling the message. I considered calling it Jesus is better than Peter Pan, but I thought that uh, comfortable conveyed the truth a bit more, that we're, comfort, we're comfortable, we're complacent, we don't want to grow, but Jesus is better than that. And even though this is a season of comfort and joy, we should never be comfortable with our relationship with God. And whether we know God or not, our passage we'll look at today will challenge us to grow spiritually. So if you're not already there, I encourage you to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 11, and we'll carry over into chapter 6, verse 3. You could use the blue Bible that's in the seat back in front of you. If you need a Bible, feel free to take that one home with you. But once you're there, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word and follow along as I read our passage for today. I'll read from Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. The author has just been talking about Jesus as a high priest. And in verse 11, he says, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And then chapter 6 begins this way, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. 
Lord, in our human nature, we want things the easy way. We want comfort. We want pleasure. But God, you call us to grow spiritually. Because not growing is a problem. If we're not growing, we'll be unable to discern or tell the difference between good and evil and what's right and wrong. So God, teach us to grow to maturity, to know you more in your word and through our relationship with you. Thank you, God, that you enable this growth. It's not something we have to force ourselves to do, but you bring about in us through the work of your spirit because of what your son Jesus Christ did to begin the work in us to make us like you. God, I pray that you will continue to do that, continue to mature and grow us for your praise and glory. It's in your name, Father, that I pray. Amen. Please be seated. As a way of reminder, we are, or if you haven't been here, we're in the book of Hebrews. This is a New Testament letter. This author, we don't quite know who he is, but he's writing a sermon, it seems like. This long letter that reads kind of like a sermon where he's addressing some Hebrew followers of Christ. They used to follow Judaism. They grew up in that, but then they started worshiping Jesus. The problem is, though, life's gotten very hard for them. It's not very comfortable at all, and they want to go back to the way things used to be. But our author is telling them Jesus is better. And he's addressing the, the Jewish, the Hebrew system of faith and talking about how Jesus is better than just that expression of faith. In particular, in this part, he's honing in on Jesus' role as a high priest, a representative between us as sinful humans and a holy God. We talked last week how Jesus was a perfect sacrifice for sin because he had a perfect calling from God. His prayer was perfect, and even though he had perfect suffering, he continued to serve God and create a way for us to know him. And in the middle of this talk about Jesus as our perfect priest, suddenly the author almost interrupts this discussion to have this call we read today, a call to grow toward maturity. The first couple of verses we read were a rebuke for the Hebrews, of their lack of growth. And then the rest of the passage is a reminder of what they should know. This is going to lead into something we'll look at the next time we're in Hebrews, an extremely stern warning for the people before it then ends with an expression of confidence and hope. This is kind of a model of loving confrontation. The author's trying to, to give them a message, but he has to pause and says, I need to tell you something. You guys are heading in the wrong direction. Here's the danger that's coming. And then at the end, He'll provide comfort and hope. But today we're at the very beginning of that part of the book of Hebrews where he's just introducing this problem. And that's what we'll look at today. What is the problem they're experiencing? Well, not growing spiritually. Not growing spiritually is a problem. We're not growing spiritually. That, that's a big problem. The author said in our passage he has much to say to them about Jesus being a high priest, but he feels he cannot continue that discussion right away because of this problem. As he says in verses 11, about this we have much to say, but it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. He wants the Hebrews to dwell on their relationship with Christ, to think about it, and for it to make a difference in their life. But he's afraid that he can't do that because if he starts talking about that, he's worried that they'll ignore him out of their, really, their spiritual laziness. He calls them dull, sluggish of hearing. They'd become poor listeners. They were lazy, negligent with the truth of Scripture. They weren't absorbing 
what was being taught to them. They were no longer trying to understand God's Word. Anyways, they were drifting off whenever they heard it talked about. They were like an athlete who gets out of shape during the off-season, or like a soldier who stops following orders as closely. They seem to be drifting, and the author wants to wake them up with this section. And he will return to his discussion of Jesus as a high priest, but he's about to start it. He's like getting going, and then it's almost like he can see the people he's talking to, and he's like, you know, I think they're zoning out a little, and I know this is going to be hard for them to grasp, and so right now he's challenging them. You need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. It kind of reminds us of something he said earlier. He said, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Our author is concerned. He's concerned that the Hebrews' lack of spiritual growth means that they are drifting away from the faith. And this is a convicting challenge for us as well. This is a book the author loves these people. He wants to encourage them. There are so many encouraging passages here. But just because we're encouraging someone, we should also have room in our lives to be challenged. We've seen where is an area that I'm falling short in that I need to grow. Now maybe this idea of spiritual laziness, uh, you're not quite grasping it, but um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but, but just think to yourself, have you ever zoned out during a sermon? And if you're not raising your hand, you're probably lying, because I'm up here, I can see what you're doing. Don't think I don't know when you zone out, when, when you kind of miss what's there. That's what we're talking about, but in a, our spiritual life. Now, I'm not critiquing that happening. I understand life happens. I understand you get tired. I understand there was a long day the night before. And I know that I'm not the most dynamic speaker in the world. I'm so thankful for the opportunity I have here to grow and develop and your love and support in that. I appreciate that so much. But I have room to grow and mature as well. So I, I get all that. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for zoning out on occasion while I'm preaching. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're going through life zoned out to spiritual things, we hear someone talking about spiritual things, we're reading the Bible, and our mind just wanders somewhere else. That's what the author's addressing here. He's saying, you seem to be wandering in your thoughts all the time, and that's very concerning to me. Because if we're going through our life tuned out to spiritual truth, that's, that's a danger sign. If God's Word doesn't make an impact on our lives, if we're not applying it to our lives every day, then that's a problem. It's good to ask when we hear God's Word talked about or we read it, we should ask carefully, okay, mind, I don't want to drift. What is God saying here? And how does that apply to my life today? This is what he's addressing. So as he says in verses 12 and 13, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Say Hebrews, they should have been teachers of God's Word, but these people he's writing to needed instruction in the basics, the elementary principles and truths of God. It seems they didn't even really know the first teachings of the faith in their heart. They were forgetful of them. They should have learned these things, but they didn't. They didn't internalize the ABCs of the faith. Maybe they didn't even learn it in the first place, or it just went in one ear and out the other. They were hearing God's Word taught. They were taking it, but 
They weren't giving back to God or to their church. They needed to relearn to truly grasp the basic principles of the faith, of God's Word, His revelation, His oracles. And the author here, I don't know if you get this from the passage, he seems a little frustrated about this. He called them dull of hearing. He said, you ought to be teachers. You need milk, not solid food. They've been Christians a long time. They should have already grasped this. This is a problem because if they don't know this truth, then they're unable to teach it to others. God's Word is dependent on us knowing what it says and passing it on to the next generation. They, though, couldn't make these disciples. They couldn't train up new followers of Christ. That's one important reason why we need to grow in our knowledge of Scripture so that we can share with others, that others may know the truth of God's Word. We don't just learn for ourselves, but so that we can help others. But these Hebrews the author is talking to, they're they're not doing this. Like babies, they're only drinking the milk. They have not yet developed a taste for the nutritious, delicious, solid food. And look, I, I understand, and many of you do if you've had a child, when babies are first born, they need milk. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good for them to have their mother's milk. But there comes a time when that needs to be put aside. Adults should not need to nurse. Really, the author, if I can paraphrase this, the Pastor John paraphrase of verses 12 and 13 is, stop being babies, Hebrews. That, that's what he's saying to them. Not in the sense that we sometimes say, don't be a baby if someone's scared. Not that, but he's saying, you're being immature. Stop being an immature babies. He's not trying to bully them. He's concerned that their immaturity will be harmful to them. One scholar, Michael J. Kruger, said, if you're not growing in your Christian life, then that should be a wake-up call. If your growth has stalled, you are putting yourself in a vulnerable position spiritually. Maybe we can illustrate this by thinking about the animal kingdom. If you've ever watched a nature special or something about animals out in the wild, who do the predator animals, who do they go after first? They go after the weak, the sick, the old, and the young. They go after those who are young and immature, who don't know any better. And we shouldn't let that be true of us spiritually. In the book of 1 Peter, it says, be sober mindful, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If we're comfortable, if we're complacent in our spiritual life, then we're more likely to sin, more likely to drift away from God and be in that vulnerable, dangerous position. So that's a big danger with not growing. Another problem, he tells us in verse 13, is that they're unschooled. In the word of righteousness, they're unskilled in living out God's word. They don't know how to do it, and they are not desiring to learn more about how they can grow to follow God. What could this look like? Well, maybe they were afraid of being persecuted. There weren't a lot of Christians around, and so they were afraid of living their life in public or learning the changes that God wanted to make in their lives because they didn't want to be different from anyone else. Maybe that was their problem. Or perhaps they... They were believers in Christ, but they didn't quite understand the fullness of the gospel. They thought, oh, I believed in Jesus, but it wasn't making a difference in their lives. Paul uses the same image about milk in 1 Corinthians to talk about this. He writes to them, but I, brothers, I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. And how does he know this? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not in the flesh, behaving only in a human, a sinful way? If we're spiritually immature, it will show up in immorality. We will sin against God. They were immature, and so there was jealousy, strife, conflicts, and division among them. If we don't know the truth, if we're not growing, then we're more likely to disobey God. Now, milk in the Bible is not always a bad thing. Sometimes it's used as a good thing, something to be sought after. There's a passage in 1 Peter 2.2 that talks about it that way. But here, in Hebrews, it's definitely a critique of their lack of maturity. Paul uses other words later in 1 Corinthians. He says, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. So what? So what does this mean for our lives? Well, why, what does this problem mean for us? Well, I like how scholar Al Mohler puts it. He says, believers have a moral responsibility to know and understand Scripture. The more we know, the more we should want to learn. That should be the desire in each of us. We're, we're called by God to know better His Word, and we should want to know it more and more. There are so many opportunities for that. The Bible is now more accessible than it has ever been in the course of human history. Thanks to the internet, the resources we have. You want a Bible in any translation? Go on to Amazon. It will be on your doorstep in two days. You want it even faster than that? Go to a website that has all the different translations you want at a click of a button. You want it faster than that? Download an app on your phone, and there it is in any translation you could want. You want a reading plan? You want someone like James Earl Jones to read it to you? You can get apps that do that. The Bible is more accessible than it has ever been. There's no excuse for not growing in our faith. We should be lifelong learners in everything, but especially in God's Word. And don't brush this aside saying, well, that's for the super spiritual people. You know, I'm good with Jesus, so everything's okay. I don't need to be growing like pastor's talking. He's talking about those those crazy intellectual spiritual type. No, no, every Christian needs to be growing. Yes, it will look different for different people, but we all need to grow. If you are breathing and you are listening to this right now or watching it online, then you have not arrived yet. And neither have I. We have room to grow. So take a small step of growth. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I, I don't know what that is for you, but if you're not reading the Bible at all, well, maybe try reading one verse one day this week. Start there. If that goes well, then maybe try one verse two days or, or two verses on one day. Start small and build. I'm not saying you have to read the whole Bible in a month. I'm saying take the small steps to grow. Why do we need to grow? Why is that important? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us because we need to discern right and wrong. We need to discern right and wrong. Our goal is to grow, to discern, know the difference between what is right and wrong, good and evil. Listen to verse 14 again. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
Spiritual maturity is the wisdom to be able to evaluate truth claims in the world around us, to discern what is right, what is God-honoring, from, on the other hand, what's dangerous and misleading and wrong. It's knowing how to read, study, and apply God's Word to our lives. Not in the sense that, I want to be careful with this word discern, because there's a segment of people who use this as an opportunity to attack everybody they disagree with. That, that's not the purpose here. It's not so we can attack others, but so we know for ourselves, yes, this is a good thing for me to learn. No, that, that's a bad thing that I should stay away from. This only comes, our author, author tells us here, by constant practice, by constant use, constant exercise of our powers of discernment. If you don't exercise a particular muscle, you can't use it very well. So we need to exercise, train our ability to recognize what is good and what is evil. And the way we do that is by growing in our understanding of God's Word. And yes, it may take a while, but as we grow, we learn more and more in skills that set us up for the future. Let me give you a, a silly example that popped in my mind as I was thinking about this. When I was a toddler... I learned the hard way that you shouldn't touch a furnace or a, a hot water boiler. And I touched one in my grandmother's basement. And I didn't know any better at the time or I didn't quite fully grasp it. And even now to this day, I don't remember doing it, although I'm sure my parents could tell you about it. I don't remember actually doing that action. But here's what I do know. I keep my distance from furnaces and hot water heaters now. I don't remember the injury happened, but now my powers of discernment have been trained that I know to keep some space from it. I'm in a condition, a state of knowing better. That's what happens to us when we grow spiritually. We learn, okay, that's something to keep my distance from. Here's something to pursue. We're really talking about wisdom, wisdom, which is something that the Bible talks about a lot. One of the wisest men in Scripture was an old Israelite king named Solomon. He actually asked God for wisdom, but look at how he describes it in this passage. He asked God, give your servant therefore an understanding mind so he can govern your people. And look how he defines wisdom, that I may discern between good and evil. For without that, who is able to govern your great people? To Solomon, wisdom was being able to discern good from evil. The Apostle Paul talks about this as well. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ. What that means is we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But instead, what happens is speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You see, it's a longer passage. You see that goal. The goal is maturity. The goal is growing up. And what that looks like is we're not tossed to and fro by different views, but we know the difference between right and wrong, and we're growing to look like Christ. And I know I talked about this a second ago, but, but let me take another moment to solidify this. The the solid food we're talking about in Scripture, the growth we're talking about, is knowing God more and a difference in our lives. I say that because sometimes this passage, I've heard it used to say, 
you need to grow. You need to stop talking about the gospel and you need to learn the cool things in scripture, like different views of how the world's going to end or arguments you can use to, to win things in online discussions or Bible trivia that you can win the next contest. That's, that's the solid food that you need. But no, I, I think what this author is saying here is solid food is a better understanding of Christ. When this section is over, when we get to chapter 7, he's going to spend many chapters just talking about Jesus. The solid food he wants to give them is a deeper understanding of who Christ is, not cool little Bible trivia. And because when they have a deeper understanding of Christ, that makes a difference in their lives, how they live and how they reflect him. So let's try applying this to ourselves personally. Examine yourself, your own spiritual life. Are you growing in your faith? We're coming up at the end of the year. It's a good time to look back and, and ask myself, am I growing closer to God? Is my life looking more like him? Does my character more closely resemble Jesus Christ? When people look at me, do they see Jesus or do they see something else? Am I growing in my knowledge of God's Word? Am I helping others to grow? And if those things are happening, that's how you know you're eating the solid food. And if it's not, that's how you know if you're still drinking milk. Here's Paul again, but he doesn't use milk or solid food, but he says almost the same thing. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, godly living. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. We should train ourselves in godliness so that's making a difference in each of us. So we should think about it personally, but let's expand our vision a bit and let me address us as a church as a whole. And, and I realize that you may be here, maybe listening, and you're not a member or part of this church, but most of us are. So let me just, just talk to those of us who are part of this church right now. You may have asked yourself over the course of the past few weeks, why is Pastor John having us study the book of Hebrews? Of all the books he could have picked, why did he pick the book of Hebrews? Well, in part for passages like this. I feel, as the author says, it's true for us, we should be farther along in our spiritual growth. We should have grown more. And I'm convinced that we need to fully understand Christ, which is what this book is about. We need to fully understand Him so that it makes a difference in our lives individually. And as a church as a whole, we can grow to be the church that God wants us to be. What this will look like is members of this church maturing in their faith, growing to know Christ more and seeing that difference in our lives, where we're not governed by our emotions, by our preferences, but we're governed by a passion for God's Word, a passion for Christ. And if I can be a little more direct, we particularly need spiritual leaders of our church. We need more elders, men who know God's Word and want to teach it to others. Men who have been trained by experience and by God's Word. They know the difference between right and wrong. Men of the church, this is something you should aspire to. You should want to be a spiritual leader in the church. Not be comfortable, not be complacent with where you are, but desiring to grow, desiring to help others know Christ. And you're helping your church family to know God more and deeper. And we'll talk more throughout the year coming up about how we, we would like to see that happen with God's 
God's will and His blessing. But I want to be clear, we need growing men in our church. We need growing everybody. I'm not distinguishing that. But that's a particular area that we need to grow. Spiritual leadership among our men. So what? What do we do? Well, the author tells us, let us grow to maturity. If we need to grow, and we need to grow so we can discern right and wrong, then let's do it. Let's grow to maturity. Instead of treating the Hebrews like spiritual babies, the author presses on them the need to grow up. Our temptation may be to say, well, since you're babies, here's some milk for you. But no, he just says, you're babies, so now grow up. Listen to what he says in chapter 6. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Let us go on to maturity. Not laying again that foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Look at his words here as well. In the first part, he was like, you are acting like spiritual infants. You're still drinking milk. But then when he switches here, he includes himself with them. He doesn't say, y'all need to grow up. He says, let us together. Let us leave. Let us go on together to spiritual maturity. Let us go. The idea is let us be carried on. God is doing this work. He's initiating our growth. He's pushing us along. And we joyfully continue in it. Tell them we need to move past the basic doctrine, teaching, elementary principles of Christ and become mature. He's not saying forget the things you learn at the beginning. He's not saying downplay the basics, but build upon them. Start there and then build upon it. As I was reading the passage and I saw that word elementary doctrine there, my mind jumped to kind of how movies portray the great detective Sherlock Holmes and the line that's often attributed to him. Elementary, my dear Watson. I found out that's never in the books, but it's in the movie portrayals of it. And when he says that, elementary, my dear Watson, he's about to solve the case or about to point something out. It's the first thing he says. It's where he's starting, elementary, the basic, and then he's going to build his case on top of it. He's laying a foundation and building on it. That's what we're called to do. Have the foundation and then build upon it. Go on to maturity. It's not automatic, though. It's something we have to strive for. Paul writes it this way. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God. Christ Jesus. And look what he adds to it. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, well, God will reveal that also to you. He calls them for maturity there, right in that statement. We're to press on. We're to grow to that spiritual maturity. It's not a point that we'll arrive at in this life. Yes, now I am perfect before God. No, but it's a lifelong effort, a lifelong pursuit of that goal. Christian life is not just something we do, it's something we grow in. But as the author said, we need the right foundation, and he talks about that here, a foundation, a fundamental understanding of what we are to move beyond. He gives us the list in verses 1 and 2 of some fundamental basics. It says, not laying again a foundation of repentance 
from dead works and of faith toward God, instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. In many ways, this foundation, he's communicating the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He starts right at the beginning, repentance from dead works, turning away from our sin, the things that we try to do to make ourselves right with God, turning away from that and instead turning toward faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is the essential foundation. We need to make sure we get this right. Once we know it, though, it's not something that needs repeated. It's something that we do and then our life builds from there. He uses these paired kind of examples here to kind of encourage them. You need to move beyond things that you knew before. Perhaps teaching in their Hebrew way of life, a Jewish way of life. You need to move past that and consider Christ. As I said, he starts with repenting, turning from dead works that cannot save to the God who can save. These are the essentials of the Christian life. The essentials of how we know God. We must start there. He'll say later in the book of Hebrews that if our works with blood of goats, bulls, sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer, if that was used in the Hebrew faith for the sanctifying of purification of the flesh, how much more now will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more will Jesus purify our conscience from those dead works so we can serve the living God? Christ's perfect life, His death and resurrection, it provides a way for us to leave the dead works of our past behind. Without Christ, everything we try to do is really evil in God's sight because we're living for ourselves. And so the author's addressing them. He's saying, no, don't go back to that old way, those rituals you had before. Don't go back to that. Go on. Move further into the deeper truths of Jesus Christ. In faith, we move forward confident in Christ and in His work. This first part he started with, this repentance from dead works, this faith towards God, that is how we know Jesus Christ. We've turned away from our sin and rebellion. We've embraced faith and trust in Christ. Have you done that? Do you know Jesus in that way? If not, I pray that you'll you'll talk to me or talk to someone else about how can I know Jesus? How can I have this relationship with him? How can I grow? Because I hear it's very important. We need to start there, turning from living for yourself and your own effort and turning toward faith in God. The next phrase he talks about washings that this may be, maybe he's making a comparison here between Jewish purification rituals versus baptism, which happens when we follow Christ. He talks about the laying on of hands. Maybe this is a reference to how in the early church people received God's Holy Spirit, or maybe it's a reference to how they prayed for one another. There's a lot of debate. We're not 100% sure what he means. The point is we need to move beyond trust in ritual to trust in Jesus Christ because now we are a part of his people. And that entitles us to something, a future hope of resurrection with the eternal judgment. The very last phrases he has there, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. We will be raised from the dead and then a judgment will come Look at what the author says, we'll say later in Hebrews 9. He says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, 
he will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the foundation we need. Repentance from sin, faith in Christ that leads us through the Christian life to our future and an eternal future with God. The very last phrase the author says, he says he wants this growth to happen, and he says, and this will do if God permits. He wants their understanding to grow in everything, and he is confident that they will grow, but he acknowledges if God permits. God is the one who is in control. He is the one who allows growth to happen. He'll start this in the next chapter. We're in 6 now. When we get to chapter 7, he'll go back to Jesus' role as a high priest and the growth he wants to see in them. But for now, his point is that spiritual growth is good. It's something to seek after. But let's be honest with each other. Growth is not something that's comfortable. Growth is not easy. Growth is often difficult, especially spiritual growth. It's hard, but it is worth it. Even though we may not think we may like the the milk, the, the comfortable place we are now, the growth is worth it. It is good. Let me give you another silly illustration of that. Probably my favorite pie is pumpkin pie. But I spent most of my life eating pumpkin pie without whipped cream or Cool Whip on top. I would just eat it, and I loved it. It was my favorite. I thought it was wonderful. Maybe I tried whipped cream once when I was really little, and something happened. I didn't like it. I said, I don't like that. But once, actually just a few years ago, there's a say, someone gave me pie, and it was already on there. And I was like, well already on there i guess i'll eat it and i went wow what have i been missing my whole life this is incredible and now i hardly ever eat pumpkin pie without a generous amount of cool whip and rear whipped cream on it which probably isn't healthy but it tastes delicious the same is true for us spiritually we may be comfortable with where we are we may not want to grow but there is something greater that's there. There's even more joy if we know God's word better. The American pastor Jonathan Edwards said, these things are so excellent and worthy to be known that the knowledge of them will richly pay, richly pay for all the pains and labors of an earnest seeking of it. Knowing God's word will richly pay you back even if it's hard and difficult to grow. As we talk today, not growing spiritually is a problem. We need to discern right and wrong. We need to grow to maturity. Christian life is not just you said a prayer once and now I show up to church every so often or maybe even every week and I believe the right things and that's it. It doesn't make much more of a difference. No. True Christianity is a faith that changes you, that makes you want to grow closer to God. And if God isn't making a daily difference in your life, if His Word is not changing you, then you should take time to pause and question your relationship with Him. God wants you to grow. Not because He's mean, not because He's unreasonable, but I really like this quote from Max Licato that I think describes so well God's heart. He says, God loves you just the way you are, but He refuses to leave you that way. He wants you to be just like Jesus. There's nothing you have to do to earn more favor with God. He extends His grace to you just as you are in your sin. As we turn away from sin and turn toward faith in Him, He extends His love 
grace to us. He was actually extending it to us beforehand, calling us to himself. But he refuses to leave us just the way we are. He wants to change our heart, change our character. That's why we grow, so we can be more like Jesus. I know some of you may be in school, and in school you take classes, and you get to a point that eventually you graduate. But in the Christian life, we never really graduate. There's always more to learn, always more change needed. That fact shouldn't overwhelm us. It shouldn't make us despair, but it should encourage us. There's more to grow. I can seek God more and more. I will never exhaust all that I can learn about Him. What an exciting path to pursue. So friends, let's seek Him now together in worship because He alone is worthy of that type of praise. And honor.